Welcome back to The Talking Edge. I'm Josh Kincaid, Capital Markets Analyst and host of your Cannabis Business Podcast. We've got a couple of guests today, starting off with Josh Hershey. All right, Josh is the president of Timeless Vapes, a cannabis lifestyle brand, and Vlad Valmy, a sales director at Thompson Duke Industrial, where he specializes in vape devices, filling, and capping equipment. Gentlemen, thanks for being on The Talking Hedge. Thanks for having us. Yeah. Uh, so we're going to jump into a few things. I kind of wanted to um, set set the tone a little bit. There's a couple of articles. I'll put a link to uh, the description after after this live event. But essentially, um, just running through a couple of articles to lay the framework of what you see versus the reality. We're going to kind of use that as a framework to move forward with this discussion between pre-rolls and vapes. Starting off with this first uh, article... And I'm just going to tell you about the headlines because um, I, I think it's important to, to look at this first one. And it's this first headline is the openness to medical cannabis uses fairly low. And then this next one is talking about from Forbes, how marijuana use could increase the chance of heart disease. But then on the other side, we see this reefer madness where demand for illegal pot soars in California due to high taxes uh quick side note i'm pretty sure that's not why glass house was selling it was on the back door because of high taxes but then you have oregon cracking down on illegal cannabis grows you've got uh cannabis deliveries in new york on scooters and bikes and illegal bodegas and um pizza trucks and ice cream trucks you've got mexico buying illegal stuff out of california so as you hear about there is no demand for medical cannabis. Why are we hearing that? So there's an article about how smoking losses in the United States. So are these bigger companies nervous about lower sales, lower alcohol? We've seen uh, in Washington state where I'm from, we have higher taxes in, in cannabis than alcohol for the first time. Smoking's losing its cool. There's a lot of these older industries that are nervous and yet what we're going to lead off with is we see the reality that pre-rolls are the number one selling product, depending on where you're at, might be vape pens, which is why I have two experts here to kind of dive into the reality of what's happening instead of maybe some of the things and headlines that we're seeing. So between vapes and pre-rolls, uh, you guys are the subject matter experts. Any, you know, um, anything you want to add to that diatribe I just threw out there? <laughs> Sure, I'll jump in, and, and then if you want to go after blah, that's great. But awesome. yeah, I mean, look, I think it, the the amazing thing about cannabis is there's new articles every day, and even from some of the same sources, like you mentioned Forbes. You know, you see one thing um, saying, you know, illegal cannabis sales are up, and legal cannabis sales are down, and then somebody sent me an article this morning from Forbes saying, you know, by 2027, legal cannabis is going to be a 45 billion dollar uh, industry. So I, I think everybody's got you know their per, their ideas on what the market's going to look like and what it is today. I mean, we still see a very healthy market in general for legal cannabis. And as you see states come on and recreationalize, like Missouri this year, which is one of the states we're in, you know, you see that huge demand spike, both from people in the state, you know, and, and in all the surrounding states where they don't even have medical programs. So you can see that um, when you see a state like Missouri go from, you know, 30 million in, in retail sales in January, their last month of medical to 136 million in March, you know, two months after they've gone wreck. 
um, with you know some people saying 30 to 40 percent of that coming from out of state obviously there's still a huge demand of people that want to you know use medical or, or recreationally you know non-black market uh, cannabis and and you know specifically around vape and pre-rolls those are our two biggest categories we started out 10 years ago here in arizona as uh, an original vape company and this was you know really rudimentary vapes back then like where we were you know open blasting and put oil in e-cigarettes uh, but you know nobody had really seen vape at that time and now obviously over time through distillation and through people like thompson duke with the equipment they make and through people like c-cell and the saran you know and, and you've seen the quality of the vape process and the vape itself improve so much but um, you know, and, and then our other big product line is our pre-rolls. We call Tumble. It's another huge category for us in infused pre-roll. And we've seen that category take off here in Arizona and across the country, anywhere they're allowed, you know. So there's still, I think, a huge amount of demand for both those categories. Obviously, there's a huge convenience factor for both of them. As you see more recreational consumers come on uh, and, and, and you know, more cannabis connoisseurs that have been there a long time, there's always a place for both the vape and the pre-roll. But I think the convenience the convenience factor is always going to make it a huge uh, a product line or both of them huge product lines. Also kind of the discretionary side of the vape, you know, you can bring a vape out to an event or into a concert uh, and smoke it without a lot of, you know, people really noticing what you're doing or causing a lot of, you know, reaction like it would be if you pulled the bong out at a, at a, you know, or even a pipe at a concert. So I think for those two reasons, we still see a huge amount of growth opportunity and huge amount of demand. And I think, Again, there's always going to be this illicit market. I mean, we weren't, I wasn't alive back in the 20s and 30s when alcohol came out of prohibition, but I'm sure that first generation of people that were so used to buying illegal alcohol, you know, continued to buy illegal alcohol even when it when it became uh, legal. And then as generations go by and it became less stigmatized and it became more unusual, you know, and it became more easy to get uh, from a legal standpoint. Uh, I'm, you know, now today to go buy illegal black market alcohol sounds crazy, but I'm sure back in the 20s and 30s it didn't. And I, and I think cannabis is quickly going to that same cycle. Yeah, I, I don't think we're going to see people buying uh, pre-rolls out of people's trunks in, in five years either, but um, it's going to sound just as crazy. Um, Vlad, anything you want to add to that? Yeah, no, I just want to say I on, on our end, we still see a healthy demand for our machines, which is a reflection that the market is still growing. Um, it, it is a newer market and, you know, we, we are going to be facing this kind of back and forth between the illicit market and the actual market. Um, so it's, it's one of those things where time can tell where this market's going to land, but it's just slowly and surely becoming more and more, um, going towards the legal market. And I, I think that the growth is there. Mm -hmm. Um, Vlad, back, back to you. Why do you think pre-rolls are the number one selling product in the cannabis industry? Um, I would just say ease, ease, ease of use. Um, you know, it's, it, it, it really breaks down to the end user wanting something that they can take out a package and use it right away. Um, you know, flower is attractive to many people, but it does require getting tools, getting tools to use, um, a pre-roll, you just need a lighter and you're ready to go. So I, I can't, um, besides a vape device the pre-roll is is probably one of the easiest uh forms of in, enjoying cannabis yeah, price and convenience i would say is the top two decision makers for anything um and that's probably why the two of you guys are are on this podcast right now uh, price and convenience are driving those um those decisions uh, as we speak so um uh absolutely yeah as this guy said it's uh super convenient um trayvon is um, makes a lot of comments on, on the show, making the obvious uh, statement and, and comment that it's super convenient. Price is another thing. But back to you, Josh, about um, 
vapes from your perspective um on the growth and evolution of the vape market can you describe some of the trends that you're seeing sure we, yeah i mean i just want to point out like the really long pins that we used to have we don't really have those anymore we've got like really small discreet ones now to your point i'm going to seahawks golf tournament this weekend i won't be bringing blunts with me i'm going to be bringing vapes even though blunts are my guilty pleasure uh, i've got to be a little bit more discreet at this tournament yeah i think look i think the vape is the most discretionary cannabis product or way you could smoke cannabis, um, you know, available other than maybe like a gummy where you consume it. But, uh, you know, for that smoking experience, I think vape is definitely most discretionary. I mean, we, we, as I mentioned, we've been in vapes for 10 years. We're celebrating our 10th year in cannabis this year. Um, and we're really early in the vape game and have seen it, uh, the evolution of it a ton. Like I said, from, you know, both the quality of the oil and the distillate all the way through to the quality of the hardware. And of course the machinery that we've gotten to produce it, you know, as, as, you know, come, you know, along a long way in a very quick period of time. I mean, we still, we're kind of known for our cases. There's little plastic cases that hold our carts. And so we still do kind of use a long pin, but it's discretionary inside the case. And we can have a lot of fun with the case by teaming up with different artists and collaborating and, and doing fun stuff with that. So we still think the medium itself, you can have a lot of fun with, but it's very practical. But yeah, I mean, we're seeing continued, you know, growth in different forms of, you know, extraction, of course, you know, we, we distillation when we first started doing that, you know, seven, eight years ago was revolutionary. Um, we still think the distillate vape pen is it, it's still the dominant pin on the market. You know, as you look out there and you look at people like BDS and you say, hey, what's the top selling vapes? Um, even though maybe a lot of the talk is around live resin, which I think there's still a great place for. And that was really came a long way in the last couple of years. And now you're seeing stuff like solventless, which we're launching our own our own solventless pen. Uh, later in the year. But at the end of the day, when you really look at the numbers, I think 60 to 70% of the vape sales still across the country. And even in places that are very mature, like California are, you know, distillate because people like the convenience, people like, you know, the taste. I mean, at the end of the day, a lot, the true connoisseurs really love the live resin and the solventless, but your average consumer likes the fruity flavors that you get with, you know, um, the distillate pen. So I think there's a lot of evolution in you know, how the product is extracted and what the form of the product is and solventless, like I said, it's, which is starting to take the market today is the most pure, you know, kind of true to form of flowers you can get in a vape. But I think there's still a huge amount of users that want that good, better, best and want those different, you know, points and tiers that they can get uh, across the full spectrum of vapes. Mm -hmm. Vlad, we're seeing uh, some trends with, with the pre-roll is being infused. So it's whether you um, have Keith in it or, um, you know, oil and then keef on the outside, or there's now this new hash strip you can throw in there, whatever it is, people tend to want to add more to their pre-roll. Um, but I'm also wondering about some certain challenges that you might be seeing too. Um, I went down to Vegas recently to visit Paxium, a pre-roll manufacturer. I had a pre-roll, uh, I was smoking pre-rolls and they clogged, big issue. Uh, not, not their machine, but ones that I had bought uh, on the strip. And then um, vape, I brought a vape too, and then the cart didn't work. So I was like, I was completely out. But luckily, I, I checked out a video and there was some wire or something somewhere that I needed to fix. So there's always like, these little weird, quirky things that need to be ironed out. But Vlad, from your perspective, what are some of the unique challenges and opportunities that you're seeing? Yeah, I mean, from, from our end, we're seeing that there's a huge demand for infused pre-rolls. Um, to the point that we were able to develop a machine for um, pre-roll infusion um, to meet that demand, right? Um, and uh, create create a machine that was specifically uh, infuse a pre-roll in the right area 
um, and, and so that it's not making oil go all over the pre-roll, um, kind of hitting this, this uh, Goldilocks sweet zone where it's like right in the middle um, and allowing the end user to uh, put as much oil as they need in that section so it can saturate the flour and create a, a better product, uh, better pre-roll. Mm -hmm. um, Josh, you are a parent company, multiple cannabis brands. How do you guys ensure the brand differentiation and maintain a strong market presence in an increasingly competitive industry? Yeah, I mean, look, that's our that's our bread and butter. We're not vertically integrated. We make CPG branded products and we have like our timeless vapes and we have our tumble infused pre-rolls are our two top lines. But um, I mean, that that's our focus and, and we've stuck to that being our focus. So we invest heavily in really marketing the product and building that brand. And like like we said, you know, early on is that, you know, we're a lifestyle brand. We want consumers to feel like, you know, our brand is is something that they're drawn to and that they want to have, you know, on them. And so that involves us making sure we're doing, you know, being part of the culture and the community you're in and doing the things that real lifestyle brands doing and doing it authentically and consistently. And so, you know, coming up out here in Arizona where we're based, we were very part of the local scene and the original cannabis scene. And we're very involved in a lot of the local, you know, cultural stuff and community stuff out here. And as we've gone to new markets, we've taken that same playbook and really found you know, people that also grew up in those markets like Missouri or California or Oklahoma or Ohio and giving them the playbook and let them really bring it to life in a very local and authentic way, you know, in each market we go to. And we think that's what really separates is, you know, people still are drawn to a brand. I know pricing is key in a lot of things, but people choose and will pay a premium if they feel very strongly about the brand and feel that the brand, you know, relates to them. And it's something that they feel, um, you know, is tied in with what they love. And, and a lot of people are very tied in with their local culture and their local community. And I think that's something that we really always try to crack into and say, hey, we want to be that national, you know, house of brands and build these national brands, but make them feel very local in each market we're in. Because, you know, we believe cannabis ultimately is a localized market, has been for a long time, even though we are nationalizing, but with federal illegality, there's still such a local element to it. And there's a local element to people, you know, in anything in, that they feel strongly about in their culture and their community. Mm -hmm. um, let's switch gears to automation. I think that's an important part about getting kind of these products into the hands of masses is by reducing the prices, increasing the convenience, price and convenience is what it's all about. So I went to ChatGPT. It's an artificial intelligence um, platform, I guess. And I asked it some questions about you know, your mottos or slogans or taglines that you guys could incorporate for fun. So, Josh, uh, this is what it came up with for you. It said to unlock the essence of time with timeless vapes. <laughs> I like that. Uh, Vlad, uh, bringing high quality to the cannabis industry one roll at a time. One roll at a time. That's fun. Uh, Josh, experience the timeless difference. Vaping perfected. <laughs> and then, Vlad, uh, get your roll on with Thompson Duke Industrial. We're jointly committed to excellence. <laughs> Um, have either of you guys incorporated ChatGPT or are you using artificial intelligence on top of some of your other automation uh, machinery? Uh, you know, for us, we're just starting to play with it. I, I mean, we've done some of that fun stuff like you did, Josh, where we type stuff in and see, especially like when we do flavor descriptions, we have our team write them up, we, you know, and we type them in to see kind of compare and contrast. So we're just kind of starting to play with it. You know, obviously you read all these articles about how it's going to, it's the future and it's going to, you know, take everybody's jobs. You just need chat GBD for marketing. You know, I don't know if we fully believe that, uh, you know, there's still that human element and that human, you know, part of all this, but 
it's definitely pretty amazing, you know, the output that it comes up with and, um, you know, some of the fun stuff you just mentioned, we've seen a lot of that something uh, fun stuff too, but yeah, we're just starting to play with that. I mean, we're very, you know, focused on automation. We've worked with people like Thompson Duke and others over the last number of years to automate, you know, we're doing, you know, well over 2 million um, vapes a year. And so we've absolutely had to automate that side of the business to be able to keep up with that demand and come up with an automation that allows us to, you know, rinse and repeat as we go to new markets. Cause obviously the, the challenge in cannabis is it's, you can't cross state lines. So you got to set up production in each state you go to. And so you've got to have a way uh, and good partners that make good automated equipment, but don't, you know, but that is repeatable and, and, and easily fixable and that you can place in each market and quickly get up and running. And, you know, our infused pre-rolls have been kind of the second level of that. You know, we start out with a non-infused pre-roll and automating that was much easier than the infused side of it. The infused side obviously has some different challenges with stickiness and, you know, the oil and some of the stuff that Vlad talked about that we've had to work through as we kind of ramped that up. We're doing, again, I think over 200,000 pre-rolls a month right now here in AZ alone infused. And so figuring out how you can automate those is the only way to really grow because, you know, we've kind of manhandled a lot of it too and had a lot of employees. And as I think everybody knows nowadays, you know, getting employees at least the last few years and retaining employees has been harder than ever. So, you know, automating has allowed us to a create consistency amongst the product and be really be able to scale and scale in both our core market like Arizona, but also as we expand into these new markets as well. Yeah, I'm seeing um, for higher signs at places I've never seen before. So it's kind of interesting. Uh, Vlad, how about you? Are you using uh, ChatGPT or AI? And then maybe you can also discuss the role of automation robotics in the cannabis industry and maybe some pros and cons. Yeah. Um, so for us, we're, we are not using AI. Um, you know, our, for our machinery, we like to use uh, like classic control systems to to rely on the accuracy of the machine. So we don't we haven't found a way to incorporate AI into what we're doing, um, but we do see the value of it long term. Um, you know, AI is definitely data driven, so I can see it, um, you know, analyzing market trends and, and just kind of going through the data that we do have from the industry and then populating some answers from there. Um, but like Josh mentioned, automation is going to be how uh, these companies are going to survive the industry. Um, it, it is really hard to retain customers, I mean, to retain um, workers. So uh, being able to have machinery that you can depend on to work and accurately uh, do what they're supposed to do is going to be the way that a lot of these companies are going to survive. Um, you know, even with the pre-roll automation, I've I've seen uh, machines go into facilities where it used to be maybe 40 to 50 people rolling pre-rolls all day. Mm -hmm. And now machinery has come in to automate that whole process. And that that allows the business to operate a little bit slimmer um, and last a lot longer and use resources in other ways to stay alive. Uh, so automation for sure is going to be the answer moving forward. Mm hmm. Uh, back to you, Vlad, with the emergence of new consumption methods in the cannabis market, like vapes, infused pre-rolls, how do you adapt and innovate your equipment to accommodate the evolution or the evolving product formats? Yeah, I, I think one of the things before releasing our machine was coming up with a design that was going to be timeless, right? Uh, something that was going to last um, with the different types of oils that come out in the market. Um, so our, our machines are designed so that you can actually see the oil move through our machine. Um, and I think that's a huge asset because it allows processors to understand their oil a lot better. 
um, and it gives you a lot more control in being able to dispense it accurately into different devices, whether it be a pre-roll or uh, a vape. Uh, so for us, when we released the machine, we we thought about okay, this is this is we want something that we're not going to have to change. We were able to get a patent on our design on on our dispense design, um, and it's held relevant relevant until today, right? It's still relevant. We haven't had to make changes to it. We've made different upgrades to the machine, but our dispense system primarily has stayed the same, um, and and we believe that it's going to stay like that for a while because of the way it was designed. Josh, how do you address this, the challenges of scalability and flexibility and equipment to meet those evolving demands of the cannabis industry? Yeah, no, uh, like Vlad said, I mean, we've, we've been fortunate to have partners like Thompson Duke and others that, you know, the equipment has kind of uh, was, you know, it's evolved, but it's always been based around the same, you know, format, like Vlad said. So that's allowed us to really get comfortable with certain automated suppliers and then build, you know, work closely with them. So as things and issues come up, um, we have those relationships where we can work through if there's, you know, something new that needs to be added or something that's differentiating as we, you know, move to like a solve on this, for example, where the oil is a little bit more, you know, tricky than maybe distillate is. Um, so I think having those partnerships and, and, and with, with, you know, some of the top automators and equipment manufacturing in the space and being in it a long time with them and working through these issues together has been really important for us uh, and a big part of our success. Um, you know, and then I think, you know, we have a really strong, you know, ops and R&D team, um, again, that we've been, been with been with us for a long time. And so I think when we make new products and when we look at new products, a big part of our process of, you know, bringing a product to life is making sure there is scalability, both around, you know, the production of it and the consistency on the shelf uh, and how we're going to produce it. So as we go into making a new product, like why don't you solve them this summer out here in AZ? A big thing is, do we have the right equipment to make sure that the experience with the end product is the best for the consumer? Because, you know, as you launch these new products, typically they're at a price premium, right? So um, when you have the consumer, you're asking the consumer to potentially pay more for, for a new product or a new way of smoking or, or consuming the product. We want to make sure that the experience and the quality is top notch in that. And uh, so I think that's a big part of our process is like, when we start developing it, making sure that's that's in the R&D, can we consistently produce this at a high quality and at a scalable way? And can we work with our best partners to you know, make sure we have the right equipment to do that? And if there's issues we're seeing, to work through those issues with them hand in hand. Yeah. Solventless is also just smart risk management because if you have um, your compliance or regulatory agency come in and say, um, you know, and pull everything off the shelf solvent lists is the only thing that can remain on there. So it happened in Washington where butane and propane were having their own issues and solvents uh, solvent list was the only thing left on the shelf. So just as a um, risk management, I, I would advise anybody uh, to do that. Um, but, but uh, speaking of what could happen in the industry, good or bad, how do you see the cannabis uh, industry evolving in the next five years? Yeah, I mean, look, again, I think we're, what we're seeing is, you know, like I mentioned earlier, as we as more states, you know, you're seeing more and more states, uh, you know, uh, have legalized programs, whether that's starting out to medical and then lots of these states transitioning to recreational use. I think you mentioned in the beginning of the, the podcast, Josh, like that it's in a lot of states, it's a, you know, from a tax standpoint. I know you mentioned in Washington, it last year in Arizona was the same. The state generated more tax revenue from cannabis than they did from alcohol. So obviously you're getting more political support from that because, you know, obviously the politicians ways they can generate more taxes is always good for them. And if they can generate it without it, maybe necessarily, you know, requiring increases in 
you know, income taxes or things like that, it can usually get through a lot easier. So I think that side of it, you're seeing more and more people that from from a monetary side of it, you know, political monetary side of it, see the advantages of it. And I think then that rolls into, hey, we need our own programs. And then like, again, like you look at a state like Missouri and you see all the revenue coming in from the Kansases and the Nebraska's and the Iowa's, you know, I think it opens those states eyes that, hey, we're not only are we, you know, we're at a disadvantage here because we're, we're not only, you know, not collecting our own revenue, we're losing a lot of revenue because people can now go to these border states. And so I think all those things create a lot of momentum and open a lot of eyes that, you know, that there's a ton of cannabis consumption out there. And, you know, you either adopt it as a state and, and put a program in place and, and embrace it, or, you know, you can lose tax revenue to it and people are going to go find it, you know, whether that's legally in other states of border states or whether that's illegally in the black market. But I think you know, over the next five years, more and more of those states are just going to continue to adopt and continue to go to rack. And that's only going to make the program uh, and the use of cannabis expand. And I think you mentioned earlier in the podcast, like, you know, how alcohol and tobacco views that. I, I mean, I think right now it's a concern, but I think when they can ad- adapt it and, and be involved in it, then it'll go from being a concern to a big advantage. And I guess that's the, the, you know, the advantage we always say right now of, of it not of those guys not being in here is it allows people like us to build brands uh, in an authentic way and in a, in a natural way. Whereas, you know, trying to go start an alcohol company today is, is very, very challenging because of the kind of monopolistic, uh, you know, ownership of, of, of the distribution of alcohol. So I think this the federal illegality has given a lot of us a runway to go do it. But when, when that slowly takes away alcohol and tobacco are going to come in because, you know, they're seeing it. People see the Cali sober stuff. There's a whole generation that's younger that, you know, doesn't have any interest in drinking and would much rather smoke because of the health benefits, you know, of cannabis versus alcohol. And so, and and of course the health benefits of cannabis versus tobacco. So I think all those things are, you know, slowly going to erode. And and again, you see a a market that, you know, 10 years ago was, you know, almost legal nowhere. And now it's going to be 45 billion in, in legal sales and, and a lot with a lot of states still to come on the recreational and even the medical programs in general, I, you know, it's, it's going to be a huge category, just like alcohol and tobacco. And, and I think uh, everybody's kind of opening their eyes from a political standpoint to a business standpoint on that. Yeah. I will say that there is a misconception that, that these big businesses can come in and create something from the ground up that people want. Whereas in reality, what they end up doing is they buy smaller private companies. And I see it in the banking industry. I'm creating or I've created an alert system, when to buy, when to sell stocks and crypto and automated that process. And some of these investors are saying, well, aren't you worried that, you know, a bank is going to come in and start from the ground up? Well, A, machine learning takes a while and B, they're too bloated. They're not going to be able to move that fast. In the cannabis industry, the biggest example I can give you is Tilray. They were super proud about coming as a CPG company and not a cannabis company. And look what happened. The two zombies holding each other up with Hexo. They're not going to make it. Um, uh, so that's my prediction with them. Uh, Vlad, what is your prediction for the cannabis industry? What are you going to see uh, the cannabis industry evolving in the next five years? What's that look like? I think there's going to be a steady expansion, like Josh was mentioning, of um, growth in these newer states. Um, The demand is definitely there. There's a lot of people who don't have access to cannabis legally um, and who enjoy it on a regular basis. So that expansion is going to be happening regardless. And then there's also a correction that's happening in states that have had legal cannabis um, available in their markets. And there's there's a correction of, okay, who's going to actually be able to stay alive um, and keep their brands going? 
So I, I, we're seeing both things happening and both things are true. And, um, you know, in five years, if legal, if, you know, federal legalization isn't here, um, I think we're still going to be seeing similar uh, atmosphere as today. Mm -hmm. Yeah. All right, guys, we talked uh, about a lot. Um, Josh, if people want to know a little bit more about you, Timeless Vapes, where can they get uh, some more information? Yeah, I think our our social or our marketing team does a great job on keeping our website up to, to date. You know, we use that for a lot of the fun stuff we do. Like I said, we're a lifestyle brand. We love to do collabs with artists and events and, and working with the community. And so we love to showcase all that stuff through across our social digital channels. So on our website, on our Instagram, you know, on our LinkedIn, on various different social channels, we, we create a lot of content. We do a lot of fun stuff out there. So we want to make sure we're getting eyeballs to it. So I think if they visit our timeless vape site or they go to our alwaystimeless.co instagram site you know we have got a lot of fun stuff on there a lot of the stuff we do around the partnerships a lot of stuff we do around our products uh and the quality of the products so i, I think either of those areas and we're always happy for people to reach out and want to learn more so you know they can reach out to us directly there's places on the site and uh, on instagram too uh, and our other social channels to hit us up and ask questions and you know we'd, we'd love to answer anything we can we'd love for people to see the brand and know the brand and like i said we you know, we've been around for 10 years and that's because we feel like we really kind of um, connect well with that end consumer and connect in an authentic way with them and, and really make ourselves part of, you know, their lifestyle. Mm -hmm. Vlad, if people want to yeah. get more information about you and Thompson Duke Industrial Work, can they get you uh, get more information? Yeah, they can go directly to our website, ThompsonDuke.com. You'll be able to find uh, spec sheets um, and detailed information on our machinery. Um, we've just released uh, our big gym and little gym, and that's our joint infusion lines. So we have um, great information uh, on pre-roll infusion there also. Um, so yeah, check us out. You can contact us direct. You, our email is there and our phone number should be available on our website also. That's great. All right. I think with that, though, we're going to have to roll this one up. So I, I want to thank my guest, Josh Hershey, president of Timeless Vapes, and Vlad Valmai, sales director of Thompson Duke. Gentlemen, thanks again for being on The Talking Hedge. Thank, Thank you. you, Josh. Appreciate it. Yep, I'm Josh Kincaid. This is The Talking Hedge. Don't forget to like, share, and subscribe, or don't. And I'm out. Don't forget to smash that like button on your way out and check out these other videos that we've got. Thanks for listening to today's show. To check out more great cannabis podcasts, go to podconnects.com. Here's a preview of one of our other shows. Hey friends, I'm Brandon and I'm Saba and we are your host of the Cannabis Hangout podcast, an educational platform to connect with the cannabis community and share personal stories while breaking the stigma of marijuana. Join us every Sunday at 7 p.m. to gain valuable insight with different perspectives from industry leaders, growers, and medical marijuana patients. This is a place to learn so much from different angles in the cannabis industry. So tune in while, while we break, break it all down. down.